Working with you. Mum in hand. Working with you. Essence of slug. Mum in hand. Working with you. Essence of slug. Mum in hand. Working with you. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of It's Time to Rewind, the podcast trapped in its own time loop right along with the movies we discuss. This season is the serial bomb, yo, and we're looking at Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, starting off with Buffy Season 6, Episode 5, Life Serial. Today we're discussing the first act in the episode, starting at the beginning of the episode and ending at 9 minutes and 58 seconds, with the trio scoring Warren's test on the Slayer. Today, my guest is Mark from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Baba. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I'm really excited to start on this uh, Buffy and Angel season. It's weird because these both of these episodes take place towards the end of each of the, the series. And it's a lot of people think that, you know, that, that's kind of where the, the series have both kind of gone downhill. Although I think the the last season of Angel is better than the last couple seasons of Buffy. Mm, yeah, you know what? <laughs> it's been a while since I've watched both series, but you know what? I feel that that's true. I think well, I think Buffy was seven seasons long, and mm-hmm. Angel wound up running for five. Right. And it was it was so weird. I'll probably talk about it more um, whenever I get to the Angel episode, but like. Uh-huh. The, the angel angel cancellation was so bizarre because it was like the number one episode the one the number one show on the WB and they're like mm-hmm. oh, we just want to bring in some new shows and they, they yeah. like cancel it out of nowhere it was so it felt more concise overall looking at angel and when compared to Buffy like I, I I do think that Buffy uh yeah I would agree with that sentiment that the last two seasons kind of kind of ta- tapered off a bit whereas you didn't see that as much with uh angel well i know buffy was kind of a weird situation too because they thought that it was ending for good at the end of season five because mm-hmm. uh the wb had canceled it and then the upn came along as this brand new network and like uh well we'll we'll take it for another couple seasons and right. so that because you know it, it ended so perfectly in, in a lot of people's ways with her doing her self-sacrifice for dawn mm-hmm. and then now they have to figure out a way to bring her back and uh you know a lot of people didn't didn't mesh with that so i mean since we're talking a little bit about the, the history of buffy what's like where did you first watch buffy do you remember oh absolutely so uh i got into buffy Literally at the turn of the century. <laughs> I can say that. Uh, I was in middle school uh, when Buffy came on. And um, when it was on WB originally, I remember when, uh, at least for me, uh, in my TV watching habits, the WB was not a uh, channel on like regular cable. Uh, for for a while, the WB was like a premium channel you had to pay extra for, and my parents didn't do that. So I got into Buffy, I think, around season three, which I put it around, like, I think maybe like 98, 99. So uh, that's where I got into it. And it just, it, it was nothing else like it on TV um, for me. Like the the writing was so quippy and smart. And at that point, I didn't see anything else. I haven't seen anything else like that. So I was from there until it ended in 2003 was like my senior in high school. I was a avid Buffy fan. Yeah, I I honestly can't remember for certain where I first discovered Buffy myself. I I didn't watch it in its first run, I don't believe, because I don't think I ever really paid any attention to the WB or UPN. Definitely not UPN. So I, I think I started watching it whenever it's they started picking up uh, reruns on um, uh, what network was it? like Lifetime or uh, we. I think FX had them for a while. I think FX was the the spot before streaming went big that um that will show Buffy all the time. Yeah, it could have been that. 
And so I, I think I started watching it, um, you know, on cable, watching, just catching reruns. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it then. And then whenever they came out with the DVDs, I got the DVDs. And that's, I think, whenever I watch them a lot is uh, on DVD. And that's basically where I kind of fell in love with it. I've definitely seen the first three to four seasons many, many times. Because mm-hmm. I, I think whenever I'm doing a, a rewatch, I usually kind of falter somewhere in the fourth season into the fifth. And I've I've only watched the sixth and seventh seasons maybe once or twice, I think. So, uh-huh. so I've been re-watching the, the sixth season, and it, it's weird to start off at, at the sixth season as a jumping-on point, because there's so much baggage from the end of the fifth season that they have to work out. And mm-hmm. I, I don't have... You know, a clear memory of a lot of the fifth season because it's been such a long time since I've seen it. But it, it has the introduction of the trio for most of the first, um, you know, two thirds of this season until the, mm-hmm. the big bad basically transitions into Dark Willow. What's, right. what's your thoughts on the, the, the trio overall as this season's like big bad? It, I, think i enjoyed it now again i haven't watched uh i haven't done a run through of buffy and angel in i would say about a decade now much like yourself uh, i do have the dvds and i rewatched them i i will have to say after watching both series in their original runs i may have rewatched like the entire series of both buffy and angel maybe twice in the mm. last time was, was was about a decade ago uh but yeah. i think about the watching, same here yeah, but about uh, watching, you know, today's episode, you know, I know we're talking about a particular scene. But I wanted to rewatch the, oh, the whole episode. Uh, I liked the fact uh, this this idea of, you know, there's the mad scientist kind of trope, you know, the, the mm-hmm. big bad that's sciencey, you know, in, you know, sci-fi fantasy. Like the mad science supervillain, like the Lex Luthor and- type. Exactly. Like, you know, that, that, that and they don't uh, reference it and the, like they don't name drop him in this episode, but they do name drop him early on in this season. Because I've I did start rewatching season six from the beginning, and at this point in the mm-hmm. recording I'm at about episode fourteen ish. Okay. Yes, but I love how they turned that idea on its head a little bit. Like, okay, yes, evil, you know, mad scientist, genius villain, but these are three nerds in their parents' basement. Yeah, and, and it's really, as like as you watch it more, and the way that the actors portrayed them, you realize that only one of them is really evil, and the other two are just basically minions, just trying to fit in. Right, right. But I love the fact that they're watching it older now. Like, I like how they subverted that, that, that particular archetype in, in sci-fi. And, like, it just it kind of gives like this warmth. I'm like, yeah, I remember this now. Like, I now need to rewatch the whole uh, series, which I will be doing <laughs> in the very, very near future. But, uh, but yes, I, I love the idea of how they played with that particular, you know, archetype of the mad scientist villain. Yeah, and so, you know, I should set up a little bit better, you know, where where this episode fits into the, the Buffy canon. Cause like this is season or episode five in season six. And, you know, I already mentioned the switch over to UPN. And so they mm-hmm. brought Buffy back to life and she revealed to the audience and spike that she was in heaven. Cause everybody else thinks that they pulled her out of some hell dimension, but she was actually pulled out of heaven. And so she's readjusting to life that basically makes it feel like the real world is hell compared to heaven. And so she's readjusting to living again and living in a way where it's, it feels worse than death. Right. And, um, the, the beginning of the episode is right before she had a meeting with Angel which is never shown or talked about. And and again, that's because of that switch to UPN, because Angel was still showing on the WB 
And so at this point in time, they weren't really allowed to do any crossover episodes. So that's why in both shows, they just reference meeting each other. And then the next episode, they're back. And they don't really reference it. Reference exactly what happened at all. They did do a comic called Reunion, which kind of addresses the meeting. But again, it doesn't directly show what happens. It's more about like the other characters, like Willow and Dawn, talking with each other and discussing how they think the meeting happened. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a, a weird way to address it. So this is really just you know Buffy trying to get back into a normal life to see where she fits in. So I think this is interesting because you know I. Um, watching it on the DVD copy versus the, uh, watching it on Hulu, which that's, that's where I watched it myself, is that Hulu, Hulu puts back in the previously on in, yes. in the show and the DVD cuts that out. And I mm-hmm. think that's interesting, especially because the, the previously on, especially like jumping into season six, like I've been doing, it does have the occasional clips from season five, which gives a little bit of helpful backstory. You know, if you've forgotten, like you're taking breaks between episodes and you're not binging it like most people do these days. Right. And I, I watched it on Amazon Prime and they uh, they also had in the uh, the previously on, which was very helpful because, mm-hmm. again, haven't watched the episode in a decade. Like, oh, yeah, OK. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, you know, Buffy comes in and she has this bucket of chicken, a very generic bucket with just a picture of a chicken and no logos, no KFC or anything on it. And uh, the rest of the Scooby gang, or at least, you know, Willow, Tara, Tara, Dawn and Giles are having dinner at Buffy's house. And I think it's great because you can see that Dawn's chair is like pieced together with bondo or duct tape or a combination of both because mm-hmm. just in the last episodes uh, a demon or, or vampire came in and busted up her house and she was complaining about how how her mom must have dealt with this happening all the time mm-hmm. having to fix or replace things so often and also, like, you can see Tara's chair doesn't match the other two, and you can't see it here, but the the seats that at the ends that Giles is sitting in and the one that Buffy is about to sit in is also a different set. Those two are covered in fabric, where the other three are typical, like, wooden uh, kitchen chairs. And, like, none of the... Like, most of the plates don't exactly match. It, it's a bunch of... You know, everything's kind of hodgepodge. And, you know, everybody has already eaten, um, even though Buffy comes in with this chicken, but they all kind of humor her. And they they have this joke, which I'm I'm not a huge fan of, where Willow's like, I'm more, I'm a breast girl myself, but you already know that. And then her and Tara have this look at each other. Yes. This is what happens when straight men write lesbians. <laughs> yeah. So this Joss, Joss Whedon, you know, in the 90s, that would have been like, oh, that's cheeky and fun. Well, it, actually, it's funny <laughs> that you, you mentioned that. I, I didn't say it, but the, this episode was actually written by Jane Espenson. Oh. So this episode was written by a woman. Oh. Uh, they made <laughs> her put that joke in. They made her do it. I, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, because one other thing is... Um, this was whenever Joss Whedon himself was, was stretched very thin because we have this season of Buffy we already talked about. I think it's season three of Angel. And then this is also the same year that he's working on Firefly. So he's doing three shows at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think he mostly was hands off with Buffy during this season. Uh, which will make sense. It's already kind of established. You're just following, you know, the the road that's been paved before you at this point. Yeah. And this the episode again takes a moment to remind us of Buffy's financial troubles. And I'm 
really surprised, like, whenever you look at the logistics of this, that there's been nothing set up at this point in time. Because if, if you think about it, Willow and Tara have been staying at the Summer's house for at least six months now. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm sure there was some life insurance. Um, maybe not on Buffy herself, but on Joyce, who died just last season. And in all this time, nothing has happened with Dawn's guardianship. I mean, are, is Willow and Tara, they don't ever mention it, but do you think that they're her, like, legal garden, guardians at this point? So, that's a good question. Well, I, if you remember in the previously on, you know, um, there was a brief second where uh, they kind of uh, explain away the life insurance policy, like it all went to medical bills for Joyce towards mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, so uh, that was a conversation that happened. And as far as uh, guardianship for Dawn, uh, that is a plot hole, or what I'm thinking. I, I know that it comes up again later this season with uh, you know social services getting involved, questioning whether... Buffy is an appropriate guardian for Dawn. Yeah. So I think no one else knew that Buffy died outside of the Scooby gang. But that, yeah, that I was curious about that, but she had a, a physical grave site. Like, how would you get this grave site with her body being buried with, if you're doing this under, under the radar. I know they have the Buffy bots, but I always assumed that was more for the demons and the vampires rather than the actual US legal process. Because I would right. think I would think if she was in a grave in a cemetery that they would have had to have like some sort of death certificates and she'd been declared dead because there was a physical body. Right, right. That is a good point. I do not know. But hey, it's the Hellmouth. Who knows? So it's like, do they have to, <laughs> yeah, do they have to, like, resend <laughs> her death certificates? Because it would make sense if there was, like, no body, which I, you know, I, like I said, I didn't rewatch the the fifth season finale when she died. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I couldn't, like, I was thinking that she just kind of disappeared, but... No, there, there was clearly a body because there was a, there was the the moments that I forgot about when they brought her back to life, where you see her decomposed corpse, you know, freshened back up into Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe they just, you know, thought that again that that was too real to get into the way of the plot. Like, yeah, let, let's not get lost in the minutia here, and yeah. just kind of like, you know, didn't dive into that, but. As an adult, yes, all of those are great questions that should be answered. Yeah, I think it's funny because they are kind of, like, in a way, they are dive, they're dealing with some minutiae with the, you know, she needs to get a job, have some source of income, but they're not dealing with all of the minutiae. They're just dealing with some of it. Right. And so they, they come up with, uh, Willow and Tara come up with this idea because Giles asks, so what are you going to do? And Buffy initially starts talking about how to postpone bills. Like, well, I'll pay for this bill this month and then the next bill the next month. And he's like, no, I mean, what are you going to do with your life? And this is where they come up with, you know, going back to school, which I think that completely sidesteps the question because the immediate situation is that there's no money coming in and her their first solution is oh yeah you'll just sit in at classes but for one that that doesn't make her any money and right. two, and two it doesn't give her any like any sort of exemptions for being a student because she's not a student because like in some cases you can have some sort of um exemptions like if you're a, a student mm-hmm. and actively attending classes but i don't think auditing classes counts in any of those situations it does not i don't believe it does college was quite some time ago (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think of audits and and how that works but yeah it really doesn't solve the issue at hand that there is no money like the solution hey go to school 
Uh, as far as I can tell, like auditing a class is basically just getting permission to sit in to sit in the class to see how it goes in order to, um, you know, to so you can decide if you actually want to take it as a class to get credit for it. Oh wow. I had never done that in my college career. You know, that was doable. That's just like, I, that was just like, you know, uh, just lying around, just like sneaking in. My classes were far too small to for audit, like for a teacher not to notice that a new kid's sitting in there. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I mean, like auditing is you have to get permission because I, I do think that it's a, it's a formal process. You can't just like go in. I mean, you could, especially in like, other types of classes that you see in like other movies and TV shows where it's like you got the big stadium seating and there's like, you know, a hundred, hundred students in the class. Yeah. You can just hop in there and the teacher's not likely going to notice one extra person. Right. But, but yeah. And, and this is especially, I, I mean, we don't see it yet, but this is like a smaller classroom. So the, I think that Buffy would have definitely had to have gotten permission to sit in on the class. I see your point. And I do like how that scene ends because the last line is Buffy asking Giles if if he thinks it's a good idea. And he doesn't actually answer it. Like she asks um like she looks at Giles and asks him if it's a good idea and he just kind of doesn't really say anything, just kind of nods and and kind of gives his approval, but I I do like that this really sets up this relationship between Buffy and Giles and how it's changing, at least in a one-sided way, where Giles is trying to push her to make all these decisions for herself, but she's still looking at Giles as this father figure and this um, this person that she can go to with all the answers. Right. And he, like he, I get it. I mean, I'm not a parent, but <laughs> I understand that at some point you want, you know, to have your quote unquote kids, you know, think for themselves. But come on, man. <laughs> you know, she lost her dad. Well, she lost her mom. You know, uh, episode 16, of the last season. I have a 22, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> 22 episode season. So fairly recently, you know, she lost her mom. She came back from the dead. Give the girl some guidance. You know, give her some stability, okay? It, it's a lot of, there are a lot of factors, you know, unaccounted for in, in the air. You know, there, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Be nice and it's weird, too, because he, because he did leave for England, and then he came back whenever he found out that Buffy was alive. Mm-hmm. So it's like he left, then he came back, and then he's going to leave again. Right. So weird. Yeah. Um. But then we jump in and we get to see the the trio uh, working on their uh, Death Star van. I, I do want to talk just a moment about this um, this set that they're in and this garage because I do love the I you know it's only on screen for like just a few seconds, mm-hmm. but I I think it's really nice and. I, I like that the the siding is all cracked, so you can tell that it's old, and there's some bikes. But whose house do you think that they're in at right now? Do you think this is Warren's house? Hmm. Ah, oh, that is a good question. I do not know. Because you can see there's a triangle, and there's also like a um, like a plastic big wheel. Yes. So, so do you think that there is like a younger sibling living at the house at the moment? Or do you think that whosever house it is, like whether it's Warren's, Jonathan's or Andrew's, do you think that that's like their childhood stuff that their parents have kept in the garage? I think it's that. I, I think it's their, that, that's one of the, the, the trio's big wheel, honestly. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think there is currently a child staying there but i think that's like a remnant of their child uh, of someone's childhood and jonathan is giving me very much a steve vibe from blues clues in his rugby <laughs> polo that he has yes. on this very colorless like it's brown and beige yeah striped and but it's it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then 
Warren's on this, uh, you know, this wheelie working underneath the van with these nice shades and the, the van's on blocks, even though one of the wheels is not on blocks. And we get to see a quick inshot inside of the van. And I do have to point out that this feels very late 90s, early 2000s, because you can see some koosh balls hanging around. Oh, koosh balls. I had a koosh ball slingshot that I loved. <laughs> oh, God. Do they still make koosh balls? I think they do, but they're... It, I think you only see them, like, in certain parts of, like, certain toy stores or, like, specialty shops. They're they're definitely not as big as they were in the 90s and 2000s because you don't have Rosie O'Donnell throwing them out into the audience anymore. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> that was a thing. And there's also, you know, there's a couple commuter, um, computer monitors, a surge protector. This thing right here at the bottom center of the screen... I think that's like a Newton, like one of those early Palm computers, like uh, oh, a Palm Pilot. Yes, I think that's what it is. Like you don't, you can't really see anything on the screen. You just kind of see mm-hmm. like a blank screen. But I think that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, either that, or it's like maybe an, an early version of like um, those touchscreen tablets where you can use it to input. A touch like a drawing tablet in a way. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely giving like a PDA, a personal. Oh yeah, weren't they called PDAs? Yeah, a personal digital assistant. Yes. Oh god, technology. And we also have a couple, you know, white joysticks, one on either side. Um, I think that looks like the one on this on the left side here has like a trackball connected to it. Mm-hmm. And then other than that, it's like the both sides of the van are just filled with like tech movie, like generic tech movie props that just have a bunch of LED lights and squares and keypads that don't really signify anything. They're just generic techie stuff. Yes. And one other thing I do want to add about the trio, it just dawned on me. The trio was kind of the first time that I remember uh, nerd culture being kind of represented in TV, like like in this particular way. Like the whole little argument they had about the Death Star and where the <laughs> exhaust vent was placed. Like I remember like being you know a kid like 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 listening to that and like chuckling like yeah that's people actually <laughs> talk about that you know. So, like, how they actually interwoven uh, actual conversations people who would be into this sort of thing would have, you know, in their day-to-day life, but having it on TV was a moment. You know, it was something that you didn't see too often. Now you do. Yeah. You know, everybody's a D&D nerd, and, you know, every, being, being quote-unquote nerdy is now very much in fashion. Uh, so, you know, everybody wants to embrace it now, but it wasn't always like that. You know, it was very uh, put to the side. It wasn't in mainstream culture. It wasn't reflected in this way in mainstream culture up until this point. But that was one thing that I, I appreciated about the trio. Yeah, I also liked, um, you know, especially looking back on it, that this is like an early example of like the toxic nerd culture, too. Very true. Very true. And I, I like, but I also dislike this because, you know, this, this is a scene about nerds being pedantic about stuff. So I have to be pedantic about these pedantic nerds. The fact that, <laughs> you know, this is supposedly Andrew airbrushing the Death Star on the side of the van. And there's also some TIE fighters. But I think that these are clearly decals and not... I don't think that you would anyone would be able to airbrush something like this, especially with an airbrush that doesn't seem like it's connected to any sort of air supply, as far as I can tell. <laughs> well, wait, is that a crack in the ground, or is that? Uh, yeah, yeah, that that is definitely a crack in the pavement, and not like a, a, a air compressor tube. Yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing attached to that. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's possible that that that's like a small CO2 tank in his hand. But you'd have to go through several CO2 tanks to 
airbrush something that big. True. Maybe you know what? Maybe he was just doing the detail work. You know that that would require you know just a little you know pressure tank to to do like the the finishing touches maybe and not the the bulk of the work. Yeah, and, and I also you know I have a problem with their argument about the exhaust part because for one I don't think you can see specifically where the exhaust port is and the fact that it's it's clearly the the return of the jedi death star because it's the incomplete one and jonathan is arguing that the jedi plans are faulty but it was the new hope death star that had the the weakness with the exhaust part and I, right. the re- Return of the Jedi was destroyed partly because it was unfinished. And so it had a completely different weakness, which I, I don't even th- think that it specifically had a weakness. They just, uh, I, it's been too long since I've re- watched Return of the Jedi, so I don't remember exactly how they blew it up. But I, thinking back, I, I feel like it was just partly because it was uncompleted, it, even though it was fully operational. I, I think just the fact that it was uncompleted meant that it had more exposed weaknesses. Yeah. God, don't get me started. I don't remember <laughs> the last time I watched the original trilogy. Did Oh, God. I, I have no idea. But <laughs> yes, I will agree with your assessment there. Oh, yeah. I, I went a little bit farther, and I, I guess you can see that he's got he has like a, an aerosol can for the oh. air supply. So then we, it jumps into the credits, and I do have a little background that I looked up about the, the opening credits, uh, from the Buffyverse wiki. So the Buffy font was created by Margot Chase for the show, and the original logo, the Vampire Slayer, uh, used a font called Herculanum. And that was the same font used in the title cards. And the final logo uses Chase's own typeface, Cruella, for the Vampire Slayer. And at the beginning, there's also a very quick animation with some words on pages. And the first, the first page is a German holiday greeting. Uh, the second page just, you really just see like two words that say who died. And the third page that you see is an excerpt of from the Bible, Exodus 32.1, also in German. And the theme song was uh, from Nerf Herder. And in an interview, they explained how they produced the theme. Um, the, the Buffy production hired some famous theme song composer to come up with a theme, and they didn't like the one he came up with. So since they were on a low budget, they asked local bands to come up with theme song ideas. They actually had done the theme song before the show was on the air. It was already written, but they didn't know what to do with it. They were originally going to do some sort of science fiction theme, which they said was weird because they don't generally do songs like that. Uh, They had a working title of Outer Space Rock or something like that. And the opening credits have 64 different clips from various seasons of the show, and I'm definitely not going to go through all 64 of them, but they are all listed on the Buffyverse wiki if you want to know what episodes they pulled from the the clips for to use in the opening credits. Um, I mean, what do you think about the song? Are you are you someone that whenever you're doing a rewatch, do you are you a skip the credits or listen to the credits or it depends on the show. Uh, it depends on the show. It really does. And considering uh, that the last time I rewatched this was on DVD, it was a bit of a, I, I let it play all the way through because it's a bit of a, a issue. You know, you're fast forwarding, trying to get past <laughs> the credits. And you miss like the, the first minute, you know, after the credits, it's like, uh, just, mm-hmm. just watch it play. You know? <laughs> it's okay. But you know, with the advent of technology in electronic streaming services, we can easily just hit the skip feature and it picks up exactly where we need it to be. You know, thanks Netflix and Amazon and Hulu for that now. But uh, back then I was definitely, you know, just let it play all the way through. I got tired of skipping. So 
like do you do you like the like how well do you like the song like if if you're gonna give it a score out of 10 what would you rate the buffy's uh theme song the the guitar uh see this is hard because there's so much nostalgia attached to it mm-hmm. so like you know when i hear the song not only do i hear the song but you know like as most people when you hear something from you know your your younger years you're taken back to that point and you know there's you, you feel good so i love the theme song because it reminded me it reminds me of you know fifth well oh god yeah 14 to 15 16 17 year old mark like watching buffy mm-hmm. like yeah that, i was it, was it was a good time but if i had to judge it on its own merits it's not horrible uh it's 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 just an instrument so there are no words so it's not yeah. like something you can kind of sing along to so uh no it's it's no friends theme you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i have to give it you know, a but i think in a way like because it doesn't have any words it's less likely to become an irritation that is also true that is also true but you know i i grew up with some great theme songs man like tailspin darkening <laughs> duck duck tales those mm. were great theme songs but i don't want to go off on a tangent but I will say, uh, I will give it a solid six. Yeah, not I, the worst, I, not the best. It's okay. I, I think it's a six. Yeah, I, I think I like it a little bit better. I'd probably give it a seven, maybe seven and a half. I I love the theme song. It, it is one of those where as soon as I hear, hear it, I immediately know where it's from. Not that I would yeah. hear it out in the wild anywhere, but it's... It's great. I think it really sets the mood, the, the, this combination, especially like the opening organ notes and then into yeah. the, the guitar. It, it really has a, a great melding of like the, the classic horror, like the, the classic vampires and then the, you know, early 2000s era that Buffy has set in. I, I think it's a good combination mm-hmm. of those two worlds, which Buffy the show is also that. Right, right, very true. In a slight tangent, um, but still in the same universe, uh, as I was saying, I, I watched this episode of Buffy, just wanted to kind of reacclimate myself to it on Amazon. And while I was going through Amazon, I saw another vampire show from the 90s that I haven't thought about in decades, and that was Forever Night. Did you watch <laughs> any, did you watch anything of, did you watch any Forever Night? I did, but I have, like, almost zero memory of it other than the fact that i know it existed and i'm pretty sure that i watched it but i couldn't tell you a single detail about the show it's okay because <laughs> i didn't either because i remember like it was on tv I'm like oh this is like vampires and it's cool but i was like now wasn't that the one where eight? like um where it's like a vampire detective kind of like the first couple seasons of angel yeah, pretty much like tortured vampire who wants to, you know, do away with his vampirism and, you know, and be like a regular person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is on Amazon. I need to watch this, you know, at some point. <laughs> uh, so like I, I saved it into my watch list. Like, oh, I'll get back to this eventually. But I just wanted to just to shout that out there. Like 90s vampire, you know, kind of the precursor to, you know, Buffy the mm-hmm. Vampire Slayer yeah. on, on, on network television. But uh, yeah, that's something I'll definitely watch, you know, in the future. All right. So after the credits, we go into Willow's sociology class with Professor Mike. And I, I think it's I'm pretty sure that the fact that his name is Mike is a is a subtle pun on the title of the episode Life Serial. Like uh, if you remember that classic Life Serial commercial about uh, Mikey. You know, oh yeah. Will Mikey like it? Like Mikey likes it, and Willow says, <laughs> "You like Mike." <laughs> I didn't catch that, but yeah, that definitely makes yeah that that fits that tracks. And I will say that this this scene is is kind of the one that irritates me the most in this episode because it it feels so bizarre. Like other than like I know that this is college, but the, this one student that says, uh, um, his answer is each individual participates fully in the construction of his or her own life. Like who, who talks that way? You know, very true, very true. But you know who talks that way? 
the kid who read it directly from the book who didn't synthesize the information. That's literally verbatim what the textbook said. And he knows that's what the teacher wants to hear, what's in the textbook. So he did it. (laughs) And yet you you have this classroom that's like full of a bunch of excited students. Like I'd say 90% of the class raises their hands whenever the teacher asks. And you have this like the table set up in a U-shaped, but there's also like students lined up along the wall on chairs like it almost feels like it like are these like groupies are they like is is the classroom too crowded for the amount of space because it's like overfilled like Buffy was lucky enough to get a seat at the table but you've got like a half a dozen kids that don't get a table in front of them just to fill out the room uh yes actually (laughs) Oh, I've not thought about college this much in years, <laughs> by the way. Okay, <laughs> you are taking me back. So, two things. Uh, I've definitely had classes like this where the room was far too small for the amount of students there that they had to be in. But this is also like a sociology class. So, I had a sociology class and I in some other classes along the same line where this setup is called like the Socratic Circle. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, essentially, it's like, it's like a two, you know, there's like, in this case, it's a U, and it was when I did it. But uh, if you sit in the front, you're m- most active, like you have something poignant to say, and the people who are sitting behind them are trying to get at the table. So if someone behind you says something more interesting than you, you have to get up from your seat at the table and they take <laughs> your seat. Uh, it was a very interesting way to run the class. I enjoyed it, actually, back then. I always had to sit at the table because I always talked. But, uh, yeah, but in this case, I just think, you know, the classroom is far too small for the for the amount of students that are in it, and they're just trying to, you know, make way. Yeah. And these students look old as hell. Like, oh, my <laughs> yeah. God, like, sir, you, like, you are not a college student. Uh, or, you know, they're, they're going back to, like, uh, was it season five with the uh, – underground uh military no kids in Mm. in the college that was season five yeah the glory season so yeah so like unless they're still you know the initiative yes the initiative yeah if the initiative is still around then okay but some of you are far too old to be looking like college students like sophomores you look older than me now and i'm 37 (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the other line that i wrote down is willow's answer uh, social phenomenon don't have unproblematic objective existences. They have to be interpreted and given meanings by those who encounter them. That's <laughs> false. <laughs> I don't think that's true, Willow. Yeah, and that is that is a mouthful. And, and she answers it like even half paying attention to Buffy. And she's trying to say, like, just go with the flow. It's like, Willow didn't give Buffy any prep time beforehand. Like, Buffy didn't do any mm-hmm. other reading. She's just going in there, and Willow's like, yeah, you'll you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> All these, you know, extremely large words and, and ideas and concepts just by yes. hanging out. Yeah, and that, that was definitely like a level 400 class. Like, you cannot audit a level 400 class. Just drop someone into that all of that like no no that 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 was like graduate level mm-hmm. that was not sociology 101 is all i'm saying it wasn't 201 either <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that, that that was quite unfair to to drop poor buffy in there yeah and and so she's already feeling out of her depth and they're talking in the hallway in the meetup with tara and then warren comes in and, and runs into her and puts this his device on her and it's, you know, a very small, hexagonal, uh, metallic-looking object about the size of, like, you know, almost like a small diamond earring. But it's, yeah. I guess it attaches with sticky tape or something. Right. It was definitely given, like, rhinestone. Bedazzled. It, it almost, to me, it almost looks like just the head of a, uh, like, a hexagonal bolt. I mean, definitely. I can see that. And, uh, you know, Willow calls him a Rudo, and Warren's just wearing this uh, gray hoodie and his mechanics hat that's a, that has the name Willie on it. And he calls back to the van, and he says, Francis 7, this is Logan 5, which is a reference to Logan's run. 
and Francis was the the Sandman who was chasing after Logan, who was trying to uh, run. I I haven't seen Logan's run myself. Have you? I have not. I have not. All right. <laughs> so I don't really have anything else to say about that. I I wouldn't have even known that Francis was the name of another character until I looked it up and saw that it was basically the character chasing Logan. And, uh, you know, they're, they're running, um, they're running Apple products in the van. And, uh, you know, this, this attack feels, you know, Warren is the tech guy of the trio. And this is basically the tech attack, even though it feels semi-magical in nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have this, and then we go back to Buffy and Tara in the hallway, getting ready to head towards Tara's class and um, to her art class, her art history class, I guess. And uh, she actually does, gives tries to give Buffy a little bit of prep ahead of time by giving her the art book. And Buffy uh-huh. opens it up and we see on one side, you can see like the classic well-known portrait of Henry VIII, but uh, the one focused is this picture of a uh, 17th century sculpture called the Ecstasy of Saint Teresa, and this is is I, I think very much chosen for the show because it, it shows Saint Teresa uh, in a state of ecstasy, and there's a, an angel standing above her holding a spear. And I was curious, so I, I looked up, and and the scene that this is supposed to be representing is like an it's supposed to represent an, an account from St. Teresa where she's describing her, like her experience with religious ecstasy. And she mm-hmm. describes it as like an angel piercing her heart with a spear tipped with fire, like over and over again. And whenever it, the spear leaves her, it like leave, fills her with the love of God. And the description like okay. has very it has very like BDSM vibes because she yeah. talks about how like the the pain is like overwhelming but in in a good way and it's like it, it's weird. It, you know what? <laughs> I do not want to go off on a tangent, <laughs> but <laughs> I I was raised Protestant and I I the the. The Catholics could concern me sometimes, like the the, the the idea of ecstasy. I don't think of ecstasy when I think of the Lord. No, mm-hmm. I, I, that's <laughs> that, those are two ideas aren't necessarily you know combined in my head, and I don't. It, it, it's it's very strange. It is it is. I, I cannot say that it is uh, something that you know is. I don't want to say not normal, but it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is interesting. I'll leave it at that. But. Yeah, it, it is. It does give you BDM, BDSM vibes. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, it it also like I think it's very thematic with this part of this season because Buffy can look at that and it it reminds her of her getting pulled out of of heaven just right. just not that long ago and where she has this where like she can see herself in in Saint Teresa with the ecstasy of being in heaven and then her friends as this angel that are like stabbing her and represent like pulling her out of heaven back into the real world yeah and the fact that the angel is an angel and her ex-boyfriend is <laughs> named angel like it works yeah. on multiple levels mm-hmm. even though angel wasn't directly involved in the magic spell right and um, I, I did listen to a bunch of podcasts that that discussed this episode, and most people complained about how this was done, but I think it actually fits really well. The, like the, the the timing that the trio used to have her start skipping time, because the first time they use it, she's looking at her book, and my guess mm-hmm. is that she only loses like thirty seconds to a minute in this right. first one. And like Tara doesn't notice and she's talking about Willow's yummy face and the fact that, um, uh, like if you read into what Tara's saying, like she thought that, um, that Willow didn't like her cooking until she realized that the face that she was making 
to her it looked like a disgusting a disgusted face but it was actually her yummy face it was the face that she made whenever she liked the food even though tara initially interpreted it as her not liking the food which is, i mean right. it doesn't have anything to do with anything but that's how it is but that's interesting people didn't like the way they did this scene i i thought this scene was done pretty well considering you know the the parameters. Well, it's network television. Uh, they have a huge budget, I would imagine, as far as like the makeup department and getting all that stuff gone, you know, worked. It's it's a monster of the week show. So mm-hmm. you would imagine a lot of money goes into, you know, makeup, you know, prosthetics and things. And I think that how they did these time skip didn't require, you know, CGI or any special effects, really. Uh, not a whole lot. Yeah, like the first couple of times, it's really just the sound effect. Right. It's just a whoosh. And then, you know, this jump in conversation. And it's interesting because at this point, we don't know what the trio, we don't know what Warren is trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just know that he put something on her. Something's going to happen. You know, they're trying to figure out, you know, how to take down Buffy. But, you know, you as the viewer or essentially just as uh you're, you're, you're kind of knocked out of it as much as Buffy is. You know, you're, you're experiencing her disorientation, you know, while she is. Like, huh? Like, I did, you, you, at least I questioned myself when I first saw this. Like, hold on, did I miss something? You know, <laughs> did, was I not paying attention? Like, what happened? And I think that's a great effect to pull off, you know, for any type of production, but also to do it with, you know, little to no real change in expense. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, I think yeah. they... They did a great job in hiding the fact that this doesn't cost too much money, but still getting a big effect from it. Yeah, and then the next part, the next part, you know, Tara starts talking about uh, how she spaced out watching SpongeBob SquarePants with Tara, which is weird to to think about that she's talking about watching SpongeBob SquarePants, and that's a show that's still running today. Yes, I remember when SpongeBob debuted. I was. In high school, yes. (laughs) I remember, I remember. And I think it's it's also not that big of a stretch to think that Tara just ignored Buffy frozen at the drinking fountain. Because, again, I think that this was only maybe like 30 seconds. Because I think that's plenty of time for Tara to finish her sentence about spacing out on spongebob squarepants and then walking to the door expecting that buffy is going to turn around and follow her as soon as she finishes drinking and Mm -hmm. like you could it's a long it's a bit of a long time but i think it's not beyond the realm of expectations that somebody could drink at a drinking fountain for like 30 seconds yeah i agree and uh and then the next time you know Tara goes through the door and or she starts to go through the door and they have the the nice cutoff of Buffy saying what the f-? and they cut back to the trio and so they they say that it's they know that it's working and then after Tara goes through the door it's not until the door shuts and the class starts that you know, she knew, loses the next chunk of time, which I, I guess would be, you know, she probably lost 45 minutes or so, which would be the, the time of the class. Right. And then we, and again, I think that that fits with Tara, because I think that Tara's personality is the type of person that if they just made, if she just made it to class right when the class started and the door shut, she would not be the type of person to call attention to herself by getting up and leaving class after it had started to check on Buffy. That tracks. I agree. Like, she's out there and she's a slayer. I'm pretty sure she's fine. Mm-hmm. And then we see the, you know, the clock moving ahead to really show us exactly, or at least show the audience exactly what's happened. And right. ba- based on this, I, I track it is that she seems to be losing about 10 minutes per second. Uh, based on how long we see the clock. Right. Because it moves forward 20 seconds and about two, 20 minutes and about two seconds. And then she runs out into the courtyard and then time starts moving fast again. 
and I clocked it. And this scene goes on for 49 seconds. And this is another bit where I have a little bit of a problem because for as long as they have this scene go on, that would be eight hours that she's uh-huh, yeah. stuck and time is moving fast. And we don't really get the sense that it moves from morning to afternoon. And like whenever she finally, like whenever they self-destruct the, the device, like school seems like it's still just as crowded as it was in the morning. Right. And this is where one of my problems comes into play in the scene. Oh, like she, she just magically hears this, this time, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, I, I hear something. There's something on me. Like, Okay. Yeah, because I I, I agree because I didn't think that the sound was coming from the device. I thought the sound was just like the buzz of the noise coming from around her of everything going fast. Yeah, so that I'm like, okay, Uh, I guess you you wanted this shtick to be over and you wanted to move on to the next thing. But yeah, if I had to fault anything, it wouldn't be how they did the time shift. I thought that was really pretty good. But this, yeah, I take off points for this one, guys. (laughs) She just heard it. And I also think that it's weird that they they have this uh, chip cam that's showing the showing them video feed from Buffy's perspective, where they're seeing Buffy in normal time. And I think that they, I think it could work in a way because, like, do you think that they're that the trio are in the van on Buffy's time or in normal time? I think it's one of the plot holes that they just kind of overlooked. <laughs> but while on that subject, though, like you essentially have solved the space-time continuum using this information to, to you know, inconvenience the Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> you could have taken over the world with this information many times over and leave Sunnydale. But, you know, yeah, so I would imagine that whatever paradox they had Buffy in, the van also exists in that same paradox. So yeah, the the way that I think that it should have worked, but I, it would be it would take a lot more time and to visually show this to the audience is if they were in normal time, but they had like Buffy vision like on a loop. So if she's like basically moving in super mm-hmm. slow motion then it would have like a, a playback of the, the, the previous several seconds so they can get like kind of a real-time view of how Buffy has experienced things. But they would also have like the other one would be the normal-time view where it's her basically moving in slow motion. Right. But then they would have a lot more time um, to react if she's moving in basically super-duper slow motion. And, you know, they they do the self-destruct and it just poofs and it's a very small explosion. It's literally just like a poof. There, there's no fire. Yeah, it's like a pop rock. Yeah, <laughs> not even a pop rock because I, I feel like that would, that has, you know, a little flash of fire. This is just like a little, just a little poof, like barely anything and just like a little puff of smoke that immediately dissipates. And leaves Buffy confused. And then we get to the scoring. And this, uh, you know, spoiler alert, this is the only one of the three um, tests that we actually hear get scored. Uh, although I'm pretty sure that I'm going to try to use this. Uh, and, you know, in, in the future episodes, I'm going to have me and my guest are going to score the other two, um, the other two tests ourselves. So they, he gets 50 points for ingenuity, 30 points for actual, for actual contact. So I'm guessing that's because he actually physically touched the slayer in order to put the device on her. Mm-hmm. And then they get, he gets a seven out of 10 for the freak out factor. And then I guess, you know, it's, they multiply that by 20 to get 140 points for a total of 220 points. Yes. So what do you think about their scoring solution? Because um, the way they describe it, it seems like they give the most weight to how much they freak out the Slayer. Right. Which, you know, I understand that. I think that's 
a good thing because she's a slayer. You know, she's she's seen some 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 weird stuff. You know, and if you can freak out Buffy, you know, I that that that's something pretty heavy. <laughs> so I think the weighted score in that way is fine. Uh, it's kind of hard to judge their scoring without their rubric or having another score to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I wish they would have. Uh, scored the other uh <laughs> the other uh test uh, i did make it to the next test uh while i was watching the episode uh prior to the podcast i did make it to the next test and they, and they did not score that one and i'm like hmm yeah they, they don't scare either of the other two tests but they do kind of compare it a little bit um because after the the time loop test they say that it took the it that one took the longest but only from her perspective and not from like Giles' perspective, right? From Giles' perspective, it was the shortest. Uh, but um, you know that's that's the end of this act, this test. So, what do you think? I guess overall about uh, Warren's test and and the the first act of this this episode. Well, Warren's test. I, I mentioned a little earlier, like the application, sir of what you did to just screw up the Slayer could have been on such a larger scale. You could have done so much more in your, you know, in your hopes of world domination than just to screw up Buffy. But then again, it wouldn't be in a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode if she wasn't the center of it. So I get it. But like, just objectively looking at it, like you manipulated time. You manipulated time. (laughs) You know, that, that takes so much. Not only does it take so much, but to put it in a, a object that's less than like four centimeters wide, like it's 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 yeah, you know it's TV and movie magic and, you know, in play. And yeah. Although they did imply that the the van was actually what made it work in a way. I think maybe mm-hmm. that the the device was just like a kind of a, a beacon, like a homing beacon to know for the van to lock onto. You got could look it, at it that it. way. You could, you could, but you invented time travel, sir, and you wasted on Buffy. <laughs> like, come on, come on. And I felt like they could have been more effective if they would have had a more active role because they knew where Buffy was, and that would be, they would basically be turning all three of them into the Flash. So they would be able to, like, if they added a physical attack component, even though they're both weak and nerdy, the fact that they're moving at flash speed compared to her like you saw saw her getting knocked around by people just walking past her and bumping into her mm-hmm. but you know what at the same time though looking um well i should say remembering and not looking but remembering season six as a whole this could play into you know the uh increase in aggression against you know the trio against the scooby gang Mm-hmm. You know, like um, if you're looking at the whole season, I don't want to give a, I don't I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> you know, you know what, what what you're going to talk about? You know, during, during the Buffy episodes, but uh, you know, these are three nerds. You know, these are three nerds. They have ideas, or they being or they're being uh, influenced by others' ideas of world domination and diabolicalness, if that's a word. But you know, uh. They are pretty meek at the same time. And as their plans begin, or as they continue to foil each plan as they progress throughout the season, they go, you know, they up the ante, is what I'll say, into a particular event that does not end very well for one of them. I'll leave it at that. There's definitely a level of escalation, and this is really their first attempt. And so this is them just messing with the Slayer rather than actively trying to kill her. Right. All right. Well, I I think that wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank you for joining me. And, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to let everybody else know where they can find you online? All right, guys. Uh, Well, as I was introduced, I'm a member of the French Toast Sunday podcast. Uh, We have been on a small hiatus for the last two years, thanks to the pandemic. But... (laughs) We are still very much a podcast. We are still very much friends. It will be coming back fairly soon. Uh, You can see me on uh, 
J. Cluett's uh, Deep Sea podcast. We talk about the episode of actually Nightmare on Elm, not the episode of the movie, rather, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Warrior. Uh, that should be coming out pretty soon. And also on the Rabbit Hole podcast, you'll be seeing me in another podcaster, Heather Baxadale Walsh, uh, in a new uh, format for a new podcast. I don't want to give out too much away, but this episode here is pretty closely related to it. I'll leave it at that. But uh, more that is still very much in the planning stages, so more on that later. I think by the time this episode comes out, that will already be available and airing, uh, hopefully. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm I'm excited. Uh, but yeah, as, and as for me, I am Bubble Weeds, and you can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter, where I'm at Bubble Wheat. You can listen to this show, It's Time to Rewind, on Anchor.fm, as well as anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We also have a Facebook group, It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group. You can join that and discuss episodes as they come out and uh, hear news about future seasons of this show. And you can also have discussions about time loop movies, TV shows, novels, comic books, anything of that sort is welcome. So until next time, grrr! Arg. Where do you live? Mumming hand. Where do you live? Essence of slug. Mumming hand. Where do you live? Essence of slug. Mumming hand. Where do you live?